0: if you think of Harvard uh, and you think about the mission of the school which is to educate the leaders that will make a difference in the world I think it's for them it's very important to to see if they can uh, they can look at an application and identify a potential for for leadership in in any part of the world in any industry and I think I probably did a good job um, demonstrating um, through my experience and my essays and my interview that they, they should take a risk on me. And I think it end up, up working.
1: Welcome to the MBA Jam podcast with your host, Avinash Bajaj. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of the MBA Jam. This is your host, Avinash. Today, we have someone whose name I am almost certainly going to get it wrong the first time. We are speaking to Mateos Realfi. Is that correct, Mateus?
0: That is correct, you did a great job.
1: (laughs) Thank you. So, and interestingly, Mateus is the second Brazilian on the show. (laughs) If you remember in episode nine, we spoke to Andre who had finished his MBA from Imperial College London. Mateus is currently director of international expansion at a very interesting company called Turo. Turo is very interesting. It helps normal people like you and me hire cars, for short trips and vacations from other normal people like you and me. In effect, cutting out traditional hiring companies such as the likes of Enterprise, Hertz, Europe Car and so on. I've actually hired cars using this kind of method in the past, not from Turo unfortunately, because I did not know about them, but from one of the competitors that I'm not gonna name on the show. But I found the hiring process fantastic and very fascinating. My wife, of course, had reservations because what if the car broke down? What if we damaged the car? But I went ahead and took my chances anyway. Sorry again, Mateos. (laughs) So, sorry for digressing a little bit over there. Just as I love these concepts so much, so let's hear a little bit more when Mateos comes um, on the show. Mateos has finished his MBA from Harvard Business School. His career has transitioned from m and to strategy to consulting to product management. And along the way, he's also run a couple of businesses before now settling into expanding Turo's footprint internationally outside USA. Mateos, I went on too long. Usually, I don't go that long in the introduction, but welcome to the show.
0: Uh, thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
1: So, Mateus, uh can you describe your journey in your own words and fill any gaps in my introduction?
0: Of course. Um, I think you, you did a great job. Um, but, yeah, basically I was born and raised in Brazil, um, in the Sao Paulo region. And, uh, and then I, I moved to the city of Sao Paulo for college. I, I have a dual degree in business from the University of Sao Paulo and from... Uh, Kedge, uh, which is a business school from Marseille uh, in France. And I think at that point when I lived in France, I realized that I really wanted to have an international career. Um, I, I didn't want to be uh, restricted to Brazil, even though it's, it's a great country that, that I love. Um, and I think after that, all my next steps were on that direction. So I, uh, up, upon graduation, I joined uh, Monitor Group, uh, which was a strategy consulting firm. Uh, I, I joined them because they were uh, very international, and uh, I was um, lucky enough to work in projects in seven different countries, including some different places such as the Ivory Coast, uh, all over Latin America, in Europe, in uh, U- U.S. as well. And um, and I think that the MBA ended up being, and we're going to talk more about that, but ended up being also a natural transition to me in my path of like trying to. To become more international, and to really uh, playing in, in, in the global stage.
1: Awesome, great. So, uh, so you you mentioned you worked in Monitor Group. Uh, was that consulting?
0: Yeah, uh, Monitor was a strategy consulting firm. I think they got acquired by Deloitte eventually. By the time they were a standalone uh, consulting firm.
1: I see. I see. And you did your MBA after that. Yes, um, so I think I, I work
0: I work for Monter for three and a half years, uh, and in the time I also had like a, a, a startup or a side business with some friends. So I think I realized two things: At first, I wanted to to play in a global stage um, and like be uh, in markets such as the American market, European market, that really have like a, a global perspective. Um, and the second thing is like I realized that I really liked to... Uh, Startups or the idea of launching something and running a business uh, and trying to to grow it And I thought that like the MBA would be um, a great transition for that because it would really um, allow me to build this global brand and global networking while providing me really like two years to think about what would be the next idea that I would like to to launch and um, start working on it even though it's it's very busy and most of your time goes uh, for like study and the academic part but also the social life. I, I knew there was, at least was, would be a break from work to um, find some ideas to, to work on.
1: I see, I see. So how, how has that translated in in terms of reality I know we're taking a small cut in terms of you know what you ended up doing after that but you know you you did run a small business and then you went on to do your MBA so did you actually were you actually able to learn what you set out to learn from your MBA
0: I think so. Um, I think the, the MBA, again, my main goal was uh, the transition from, from Brazil to, to working in another countries. And I think I, I, I was, uh, that, that really helped. I don't think I would be, uh, I would have been able to both launch my, my business in the US, but then eventually join Turo um, without my MBA, there have been a much harder transition. So I think in that sense, yes. In terms of uh, the skills that you learn to, to launch a business, I think some of them, yes. But uh, to be honest, I think re- running a business or launching a business is something that you learn by doing. I think it's you, you get very interesting concepts. You meet very interesting people uh, in the business school. And I think it's a very helpful experience. And I recommend even to people that are aspiring entrepreneurs but um, you you learn most of the uh, of, of how to launch a business by by doing it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, no, completely, completely agreed. Yeah, I think I think you also did a short stint at Rocket Internet, uh, which which is which has actually become a really popular entity of its own. Was it as popular when you did or worked over there?
0: It was uh, actually. I remember having. Rocket Internet mentioned in many cases while I was at business school. So I had my summer job, um, a summer internship for for one of the rocket internet companies back in Brazil. And they were very hot at the time. I think maybe hotter than today because uh, after that, the model has been through some difficulties. But at the time, they were like really rising and very quickly. So I think it was a great experience as well because... They may have uh, some issues on, on their model and their companies, and maybe their culture. But if there's one thing that they do very well, it's executing. So I think I learned, um, I learned very interesting lessons in my three months uh, working with them. It's it's short, right? So it, there's so much you can learn from from that experience. But I think it was very worth it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So how did you decide on Harvard?
0: Um, I think I. There, there are three factors that were important to me. I think the first one is the case study method that the Harvard is very famous for. Um, because I went to a business school for undergrad, I had already studied most of the concepts of business or the theories. Um, so I really wanted to have something different than, than like lectures. And I think the case study is really perfect for that because you have so many uh, interesting perspectives in the classroom and the discussion, and the way it works is that we really prepare, or you read uh, a snapshot of the theory before class. But then the discussion is all about the case that that the touches the the, the uh, concepts that that you have to learn, but about how to to debate, how about how to exchange the ideas, different perspectives, and and how to solve the issue that the case presents. And I thought that would be really what I was looking for in terms of the, my academic experience, but also I think the brand of Harvard it's it's important and I think it it matters, and I think finally uh, the network I think is important as well and, and because the academic part of the MBA um, basically finishes in in two years and you, of course you, you you bring some of those. The, um, concepts your life but the network that you start building in them like this is something that you're going to take advantage uh really for the rest of your professional life so i thought the harvard would provide um, a great network
1: yeah no i completely i completely agree and and to be honest it, it is a great brand so it's it's very hard uh, to not get in <laughs> if you do have the opportunity for that
0: yeah, absolutely. And I think it's even more important if you're coming from a different country, I think, than if you aspire to work um, outside of your own country, because that gives you uh, a, good, a good brand and credibility, uh, even though they, they may not recognize the, the companies that you worked for before or the where you went to undergrad. So it's something that, but yeah, it, it's important
1: yeah absolutely. and after right after you finished your MBA, I think you actually started your own company again called Tripees.
0: Yeah, so um, during my my soul searching on the MBA, I came across uh, or i I had the idea of Trippies with, with a with a friend, and then we basically worked for uh, which was my second year at business school. Uh, we started working on the idea. We went through the business plan competitions. We were part of the Harvard Accelerator and then we launched the the business. Uh, we own, we moved to San Francisco uh, after graduation, run that for about a year. and then eventually we we ended up selling to to a competitor um, called Travelfy that at the time was um, better funded than we were, and I think they they had a interesting concept so we end up selling the business uh, to them
1: did you sell it for a good price was it was it something that you expected
0: no i i don't think so i think for us it was uh a more a matter of like it, it wasn't going as well as planned and i think we found a, a good good way to to exit the business but yeah certainly not and i think you no entrepreneurs would start um, companies thinking about selling. I think if that ever happens, and and of course a happy outcome in most of the times, but I don't think we started the business with, with that idea of selling like uh, so shortly after after starting.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So once you did sell the company, why not why not start something else? Uh, why why go back to become an employee again?
0: I think that, that's a great question. Um, I think to me, uh, a lot of this process was a realization that I was uh, probably not ready yet uh, to do it again. So uh, I think I realized that even though I had gone to business school, had built a networking, network in the U.S., um, it was not strong enough uh, yet. So I really wanted to find a company like Turo or Relay Rides at the time, there was zero startup but when I joined them. They had, or uh, we had, uh, 20 employees uh, roughly. So it was very, very small, and we were pre-Series B uh, at the time. So I knew they would have a lot of responsibility and and learn from from people that there were like world class, uh, world class managers, such as like Andre Haddad, the CEO. that had. Sold his company before, had been one of the senior executives for, uh, of eBay for for many years. So I, I thought I had to work like get a little bit more in terms of networking and meeting people, meeting investors, but also in terms of like meeting coworkers, meeting uh, potential co-founders or people that that I could that I could hire. So and and I think those are the those are the two things. So I. No, I don't know about the future and when, and I'll, I'll do it again. But I see, I saw that as a very important step on, on, on getting myself ready for the future.
1: I see, I see. So you know the the fact that you did your MBA at Harvard, which which carries a lot of strength in its brand, but. Also, I think it carries a lot of expectations and you had done consulting you know, before you went for your MBA. And mm-hmm. after that, you start a company and then you join a very young company. Uh, I think, I think I'm, what I'm trying to get to is a couple of questions. First of all, I'm pretty sure the MBA itself must have had a big financial strain on you. And of course, running your own business or joining a young company, I'm assuming may not be able to compensate. <laughs> Uh, first of all financially in that sense second of all did you never feel that you know you you need to leverage the Harvard brand a lot more and maybe join like consulting or join investment banking and try and leverage the more immediate benefits of having a brand (laughs) what were your thoughts at that point of time regarding these points
0: yeah I think uh uh, the financial burden was important, and I think that was in a way a part of my decision uh, or our decision at the time uh, of selling the company. Um, and 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 I think that's something that for anybody that is uh, doing the MBA, like that is a that is a downside that there has to be considered and, and, and planned for, because uh, depending on your financial position before the MBA, most likely you you have a, a debt to pay. And that's gonna that, that, that's gonna in many ways constrain your choices and so I think you, you're right um, you're right about that um, in terms of launching your company or joining a startup I think it, it, it depends on how you you plan the future and uh, I have many colleagues that just decided to go or most of the, my class if you look at the, the stats uh, most of the my class I uh, went to consulting, investment banking, yeah, but slightly later, uh, less than years before, but but as well, and large tech companies. So I was considering at the time joining the likes of Google or, or Facebook as well, because to your point, they would be uh, financially uh, better in the short term. But I thought that, like, I, I was, I, I met really right through a friend that, that, that in, uh, was interned there. They had a position that was very entrepreneurial, so I was basically hired to launch a new business unit within the company. So it was very entrepreneurial, so it would still help me build the, the skills that I wanted to, to have in the future. And I knew there was a company with a lot of potential in the sharing economy, so that could have, over the long run, an even better financial return than joining a more established company. So I decided to to take the risk, and luckily, I, th- I think our, our the the the, the bet has so far has been paying off uh, very well. The company now has over two hundred employees. Uh, we uh, we raise over a hundred million dollars from venture capital investors. So it's the company is very good trajectory. So I I think my my recommendation there is that like yeah the. And the consulting investment bankings will look like the easier choice and they may be the right choice for for many people. But I will suggest that um, that like MBA grads think uh, harder about what what they really want and what is going to make them happy. And if that means go to a, a, a less beaten path, uh, that should be their decision.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Great, great advice uh, over there because it was a bet that you took uh, and and it, it looks like it was a very calculated bet and, and it's paid off really well.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it, it doesn't come without risks, but I think that's one of the advantages of, of an MBA as well. Like if things had gone wrong on, on really rides or on tour for whatever reason, I could still have have tried the recruiting process of a bigger company because then you have the the MBA uh, as, as as a leverage and and so I think it it's it, you always have a safety net I think that's the advantage of, of having uh, an MBA which can be bad in some scenarios because sometimes you don't try as hard or you don't take as as many risks as you could because you always know you have a fallback plan but it's still it's it's not it's good to know that that is there in case you need
1: yeah yeah no absolutely absolutely agreed so how how did you come to know about turo first of all did you and and how did you you know, convince yourself and also convince because it was a very small company when you you said you met them for the first time. Did you actually have a one-to-one chat with someone who was working at Turo? Did you actually, you know, sit down with the founders and sit down with some key people to try and understand what your career trajectory could look like? Um, Yeah, what was your thought process when you even considered Turo?
0: Um, So, I had a friend, one of my best friends, uh, was a project manager intern uh, on Turo, um, and then he f- he referred me to, or he, he called me and said, "Hey, I have this. Uh, I heard about this opportunity at Turo. I think it fits perfectly well, what what you wanted, uh, because at the time Turo was looking for somebody with entrepreneurial experience and with travel experience um, to start this new start and run this new business unit." Um, uh, and I think it really matched perfectly with my uh, goals and with my background. So I ended up applying for for the job, and then because it was a, such a small company at the time, I met really everybody in the leadership team, and I was impressed by by them. And I at the time I was already following the sharing economy, and i I had uh, high expectations of of the potential. and I, were, I was already an Airbnb user. user. I had already used uh, relay rides as a customer, so I thought it was a very exciting concept and, and I love the fact that it was uh, so early stage, uh, which was risky, but again, it was really matched with what I was expecting in terms of risk and potential return. So that's why I ended up uh, ended up joining and I think it's, it was a, it's a great decision.
1: I see, I see. So, you, you, you joined Turo as the business lead uh, for the airports. And, and as you mentioned back then, it was called Relay Rides. And then I think within in, in just one year, you were actually promoted to the head of international where uh, I think your job was to launch it in Canada, uh, outside the US. And then again, within a year, um, you, you expanded yourself to this particular role where you're not just focusing on us and canada but now you're looking at the uk market so all of these roles have they just evolved uh, organically or is that uh, or was that always the plan of the company
0: i think in in any startup that is early stage the things will grow organically because the reality is that you have a plan but the conditions may change and then you, you you may prioritize or deprioritize projects um, to to react to, to those new conditions. So I never imagined myself in an international expansion role, uh, to to be honest with you. Um, but I think at, at the time that there was a possibility, it also made sense because to me it would still be another entrepreneurial opportunity. I was flexible at the time in terms of living in different places. Um, so um, I think I, I ended up um, accepting the challenge, I think, first for for the canadian market which was the first market for for tour for really right at the time and as you know the first is always the hardest because it's not only about launching the news business it's all about almost like redesigning every process and function of the company to think about another country another uh, so from product that you have now to think about currencies languages and everything that is localization but customer support, we need to offer customer support in French, in Canada, and then uh, nobody in the company had the the expertise to do that, so we had to figure out how to make that happen through legal, finance, so it's really um, a very hard process, uh, and I think I was very excited because uh, I think I got to really know the business from uh, from the inside out, and and then help the company to set up in Canada, and then the UK or Really, any other market that we're going to launch now is a, are much easier and is a very easy extension from, from not easy, it's always hard to, to launch a new market, but uh, at least in terms of the steps that you have to take, it's or the playbook, if you will, it's, it's more established now, so it makes that at least uh, faster.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so basically, your role was very entrepreneurial in in its in its fashion, right? Because you were like you mentioned, you're almost writing a playbook that has never been written before. So, was was that the most exciting bit of, of what got you interested in it?
0: I think so, because I think um, going back to your, your questions about why I, I joined Turo and why I didn't do my startup. Again, is because I thought that Turo, uh, within Turo, I would have, uh, in many ways, the best of the two worlds. I, because of my role, I was still doing something from scratch with very limited resources and having to be scrappy and and uh, and agile. But I was still within a larger company and learning from people that had done that uh, that before. So I think I, one of the reasons why I'm still with the company is because I think I. I'm, I'm still on the same trajectory of learning, of launching new businesses, uh, of exploring new concepts and executing on them and transforming ideas into realities, uh, into reality. And, and I think that is something that I, I, I really liked. Uh, and I'm not sure if I would have stayed long uh, with the company if that was not the case
1: yeah yeah no absolutely very very interesting now, let's talk a little bit more about this space that that looks like you are really passionate and you really love this particular space so this uh, the share the sharing economy or the or the you know p2p um, economy w- what are your what are your thoughts what's what has fascinated you the most about this space
0: i think it was fascinated Fascinating me the most is that it's all about empowering people. So, um, if you think about the sharing economy overall and you're helping pe- people to transform the assets that were costing them a lot of money, uh, I think cars are obviously one of them, but you have your house, I think, is, is another mm-hmm. example, or their time, if you're talking about Test Rabbit, and you were helping them to monetize. And, and then use those extra funds to, to improve their lives. So, we've seen many great examples of um, people that, that could pursue their dream jobs, or like uh, uh, because now they could find revenues on, on the sharing economy, and then that would uh, help them to be a musician or uh, like uh, start a career as an actor or some of those. Careers where most of your is they are riskier and the returns are it's, its maybe more in the long term. So I think giving financial security and, and improving uh, people's lives financially, uh, I think it's something that really fascinates me. Um, also, the, I think it, especially in the car sharing, in the share economy in general, but in the car sharing angle, there's the angle of the, uh, the efficiency. So using assets more efficiently, like we don't need, I think today there are 70 million cars that are added to the world's fleet every year. And that's net of cars that are leaving the roads, right? So we already passed the 1 billion cars uh, mark. And those cars are idle 95% of the time. So it's very, very low utilization. And um, that that's bad for the environment. That is That is... Bad for the customers that they have to pay for those cars, and I think I, I think that the sharing economy is very smart way to to help with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I love this. I love the space as well. And and like I mentioned in the intro, I've already you know been a part of renting a car in in a very similar kind of a setup uh, like Turo. So. Turo is obviously doing really well in the U.S. Um, because that's where it started and and now it's it's expanding internationally. What are some of the biggest challenges you have found between, um, uh, you know, the consumers in the U.S. towards such a model as compared to maybe consumers in, in outside U.S. like in Canada and U.K.?
0: Yeah, I think we, we haven't seen uh, many challenges um, yet, to be honest. I think the UK, we, we launched here about six months ago, so I think it's very early um, very early to, to draw any conclusions. Um, our Canadian business now, we have been operating there for um, slightly longer than a year. And the results have been great. We are growing faster than we expected uh, on the Canadian market. And I think there's a very interesting blog post that we published with uh, about our one-year Canadian anniversary, where we share some of our, our metrics, and I think the, the business is really up to, to a great start. Um, if you think about uh, Europe, European peer-to-peer car sharing, um, and not only talk, talking about tour, but talking about the industry uh, as a whole... We've seen that there we have countries like France where the concept has gone in traction faster than uh, the other uh, European markets. And and I think we, uh, as a company, our goal is to be eventually in every country in the world we want to build a global marketplace. So I think at the end of the day, we will have to see how things progress here in the UK, but then in the next market. And I'm sure we'll see Cultural differences. We will see uh, different in the use cases for cars, um, and 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 I think at that point, are gonna as any company, we we're gonna have to learn um, how to, to compete in those different environments.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think you're pretty you're pretty right. I think France is something where I heard the concept a long time ago. I'm not sure which company made it really popular. Was it BlaBlaCar? Is is that French?
0: Um, no, it's, it's French. So in France, we have uh, two main companies. One is called WeCar, and the other one is called Drivey. Nice. Uh, they are both in the PHP or car sharing space. Blah, blah, car is more about ride sharing. So if you are going to one city uh, from, let's say, Paris to Marseille, and you have four empty seats in your car, you can get other people uh, to help you pay for the cost of your trip. So it's, it's still in the sharing economy and blah, 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 does a great job. It's a fantastic company, but it's, it's slightly different than what we do, which is more focused on, on car rental uh, use cases.
1: I see, I see. No, you're, you're completely right. Blah um, blah car is slightly different. Yes, you're right. It is still in the sharing economy, but it's a slightly mm-hmm. different model. I think I think the closest that comes to Turo, at least what I've seen in the UK, is something like RideLink or something?
0: Yeah, I think RideLink is, would be an example uh, of a PHP, a cash sharing company, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think they were also raising a big crowdfunding round recently. So they obviously have a lot more to go, uh, as as compared to the kind of financial backing that you guys have.
0: Yeah, I think there are there are a number of uh, startups that, that they're trying to 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 launch PHP car sharing locally as well. And we we think it it's great. I think the more companies out there educating customers and Empowering them financially, it's, it's going to be better for, for, for us, uh, for the industry overall. We are, we are still a long way to go before we get to the size of the traditional car rental industry. So we, we really embrace the, that innovation.
1: I no no i completely agree in fact in fact when companies talk about being scared of the competition you know sometimes in these cases competition really helps because it, it educates the market it, it gets the market ready so you you're almost like working together to educate the market although you're competing with each other
0: absolutely i think that that is true um, yeah
1: yeah fair enough so what's what's your view on you know other other concepts in the same area. So, for example, where do you see the peer-to-peer car sharing when when it comes to self-driving cars in the future?
0: I think that's a great question, and I think if anybody uh, tells you that they know, they, they, it's probably not true. I think we are very like we're very excited as a tech company. We're very excited with developments uh, in the industry and the fact that like. Car ownership has been Or is being completely uh, Disrupted and I think It's enabling new models like Turo or Uber or Blah blah car if you will To to, to Gain traction and to be a, like A feasible alternative to To a car ownership um, We believe Actually in a, in a model Of a hybrid ownership So we believe that in the future um, Some people would uh, own cars and that's going to be um, the, only for them and they're not going to share and of course we, we respect their, their individual owner preferences um, then there will be a uh, mid, mid-tier as we call the hybrid car ownership where you have your car you're going to own your car but you're going to share uh, when you're not using it and helping pay for the cost of that car ownership so just to give you an example if, uh, if an owner shares a Tesla for seven days a month on Turo, they are probably going to make enough money to pay for the f- cost of financing the car. So basically the car becomes free for you wow. as, long as, as long as you share seven days uh, a month. That's, so that's it. A,
1: just, just seven days a month you share yeah. your car and your Tesla effectively becomes a no cost.
0: Exactly, and I think that's a very powerful uh, Financial proposition for owners and that's what gets us very excited about uh, the, the potential of, of PHP car sharing, but I think on and, and then this, this is the hybrid model And then the last one will be people that will decide to just not own cars at all and then for because they are in I don't know big cities and they don't like to drive while they travel and for those folks I think they're only gonna use services like Ubers or what is gonna be the future network of self driving cars. And we believe that like those models will coexist uh, to fulfill the the the, the, the mobility um, use cases of the future.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I completely I completely agree with you. I, I live in London, uh, you live in London and you know the the the, the means of transportation in in london are at least, you know, so effective and not just... I'm just mentioning London as an example, but there are a lot of such cities uh, in the world where it's so easy to go from point A to point B. And to be honest, to be completely uh, honest, I think I think owning a car in London is kind of stupid in one way <laughs> because you can easily get from point A to point B using public transport, um, you know, and, and you can take an Uber. And if you want to leave the city and... Like, like my wife and I go driving quite a bit to other parts of the UK. And we've used a peer-to-peer car sharing company in the past. I'm definitely going to try Turo in the future. <laughs> On the other hand, you have these car rental companies. So I, I completely agree the the whole idea of owning a car in, in such um, uh, uh, environments, in, in such places is... It it is something that will evolve, and I, I'm completely with you. I'm really excited to see where this all goes.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think you have the flip side as well. If you imagine like rural areas, mm. they are they are never going to get the density enough to build those self-driving cars or Ubers or, or other services. So they, they those folks will most likely continue to use cars. So uh, to to own cars. Sorry. So I think it. That that's the that's I think the beauty of this innovation in mobility is to offer you uh, a, a variety of choices and depending on your use case and and the day you're gonna end up getting one of those options.
1: Correct, correct, exactly. You know, on the flip side, I was going to mention. So I'm from India originally. There are lots of places in India where you can absolutely you can't even rely on maps. <laughs> so yeah, the whole point of P2P car sharing is something that may fall flat in some places. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the urban mobility space is so exciting. Yeah, let's see where it goes.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, exciting times.
1: Exactly. There's one. There's one point. You know, I've really been curious, and and pro- probably you can have some insight into that. You have been in the early stage um, startup economy or startup space um, back in the U.S. and now you're in the London. What do you think are some of the biggest differences between the startup Space in the U.S. versus UK. Uh,
0: I think that in in the U.S., uh, I think the scale um, of start of startups and funding rounds it's uh, it's larger than in London. So if you think about the, it's not uncommon for early stage startups in the U.S. to raise millions of dollars. Um, or the culture in the Silicon Valley is more like a VC fast-growth uh, um, Culture where you you are expected to actually grow as fast as we can and raise very large rounds to To pay for that. I feel that in London. I think you, in Europe in general the companies they try to to raise less and be um uh, and be more maybe efficient or, or for the, the user capital or maybe grow less aggressively of course there are exceptions but I think you're trying to compare the rules but I think of what is very exciting here in London is the the fintech ecosystem um, I'm very excited particularly with the insurtech um, startups and the tech concept and I believe that London is a great market for that Maybe better than the market in the United States, because I think the ecosystem of financing insurance, uh, it's very strong here. So that enables startups to work close to, to, to those companies or to the providers and, and then like, innovate faster um, than some of the players do in the U.S
1: yeah yeah no very very interesting uh, a couple of weeks ago i'd been to startup grind uh, an event and and uh the founder of transferwise was speaking over there and i think he made some really good and interesting observations so in the u.s you know you have certain strength of certain places so you have mm-hmm. new york uh, you know which has its own strength you have san francisco which has its strength in tech and and then you have some other places in the u.s so uh, each place in 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 a sense has its own strengths but mm-hmm. london it's like it's a smaller place and everything is there so you have finance and you have fashion and you have technology so i think the proximity of so many strength areas in a very small geographical distance i think gives it a certain advantage that is not easily replicable anywhere
0: else yeah absolutely i think uh, that it's a it's a great market and i think We'll see, uh, I, I hope that Brexit wouldn't change that, but I think I, I agree. I think it's a great startup ecosystem here.
1: Yeah. What what exactly is InsureTech? I've heard of FinTech, <laughs> but what is InsureTech?
0: So InsureTech, uh, it's it's a, it's a subdivision of FinTech, and it's those are basically startups related to insurance, or so startups that are trying to leverage technology as a way to change insurance. Uh, it could Those could be service providers that are just trying to improve the process of making a claim using artificial intelligence, or th- those could be companies that are trying to build uh, more modern insurers, such as Lemonade uh, in the United States or Trove. Um, and I think I, I believe, like, I worked a lot with insurance in, in my current job at Turo, and... Uh, I believe that there are certainly many opportunities to use technology in making insurance more efficient and modern.
1: I see. Very interesting. So, which, which are some of the companies that you're keeping a close eye on?
0: Yeah, I think the, the poster kid of, uh, of the insured tech today is Lemonade. Uh, they're doing a great job. They're selling home insurance in the US and they have many, many interesting innovations um so yeah i think it is yeah the, those are probably the ones uh getting more more traction and more attention and, and pushing the agenda of the issue tech forward.
1: i see interesting so lemonade.com wow that domain exactly. that domain must have cost them a lot
0: <laughs> yeah, but they raise a lot of money as well. So probably they they were able to afford that.
1: <laughs> I see. Very, very interesting. Because, you know, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> um, and recently I was listening to a podcast where we were talking about, um, you know, uh, wearable technologies like the Fitbits and the Apple watches, etc. And how some of that information can be shared with insurance companies. And insurance companies can offer... Incentives to people who work out a lot for example in the gym and Possibly charge a higher premium to those people who don't work out for example, so that's a very very basic um, Methodology that insurance companies can use but yeah, I mean using AI and machine learning I'm pretty sure it's got really really exciting times
0: Yeah, absolutely the insurance has not changed much in the past 100 years really and I think with all those innovations uh, hitting the industry at the same time, I think I agree with you that we're gonna see many exciting developments uh, happening.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, coming back to the MBA, (laughs) um, you know, Harvard's an excellent brand and I'm pretty sure a lot of people listening to this show have this one question. How did you get into Harvard? What did you do? (laughs)
0: I, I wish I had a silver bullet for that, but I don't, I think, yeah, there's, uh, I would say, I, I think I had a good combination of uh, traditional or, or strong academic background in my, in my undergrad with, um, uh, a traditional background or consulting, which is an industry that, um, MBA schools, uh, really like with um uh, an an orthodox uh, experience which was launching my own startup because i think if you think of harvard uh, and you think about the mission of the school which is to educate the leaders that will make a difference in the world i think Mm -hmm. it's for them it's very important to to see if they can uh, they can look at an application and identify a potential for for leadership in, in any part of the world, in any industry. And I think I, I probably did a good job um, demonstrating uh, through my experience and my essays and my interview that they they should take a risk on me. And I think it ended up, up working. But so, I, yeah, I don't really have a, a much more like a simplified answer than that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So, so how, how was the admission process at Harvard? So, you know, obviously there are the traditional components like the GMAT and, and a couple of essays. Yeah. So what what are the different components involved in getting into Harvard?
0: So I think uh, I will talk about how I did. And that was mm-hmm. uh, back in 2010, 2011. So I, I know that some of that may have changed, but, um, at the time, it was like very standard. You had uh, to, to do all the tests and that was an important part of the, your application. And then you had to write the essays. At the time, you had five essays. I, I know that that has already changed. But at the time you had to apply fi- uh, or during your application package, you need to submit uh, five essays. And then if you were uh, uh, the fifth, about I don't know I, I don't remember exactly the number, but um, some people would get invited to the interview, and then there will be an in person interview in the main cities. if they had like a, a a hub around your area, you would interview in this hub, otherwise you would go to Boston um, to to do your interview and based on the interview, they would put all information together and and let you know the the results so there was really nothing different or special i know that after i graduated they changed the process and i i don't even know exactly how they changed but they that may have uh the new new students may have a different perspective yeah um, on that but i think at the time i applied to other schools as well and i think the process is roughly the same it's like how can you highlight um your background the right points on of your background and, and to to make you 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 um to make them believe that you can achieve the goals that you are describing that, that you wanna that you wanna achieve I think that will be that's really the goal for any application and then if you write one essay five essays or if it's just an interview, I think at the end of the day, like that doesn't matter
1: yeah yeah absolutely how long did you prepare for your um mba um i
0: pre- i prepared for about a year i think because i started the process i knew from from friends that it would be a long and painful process if you want to do it correctly like with all the tests and taking the time to study that and Bear in mind, I was a consultant at the time, so I was already working 10-15 hours every day and I had to find do that on my spare time. So I decided to do over a longer period of time. So yeah, it took me about a year from beginning preparation to, to the end of the application.
1: I see. I see. Mateus, by the way, are you okay to continue for another five minutes? Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: <laughs> okay, great. Great. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, th- that that's really good. So. How was the course at at Harvard? Did it really meet your expectations in terms of what you had in mind? In terms of the curriculum and the classes and the kind of people that you met?
0: Uh, I think so. Um, the classes at, at Harvard are, are great. I think the case method, uh, in my point of view, delivers on, on the promise and is it's very interesting and it's a great way. Of learning and really like bringing those those uh those concepts that you learn to with you after after graduation um uh the people i met uh, uh if i if i don't say i i'm very happy about the people i met uh, my wife would be very upset with me because i ended up uh, meeting jessica which is with my wife she was uh, my section mate uh, oh wow at harvard and of course, I made great friends and uh, we still keep in touch uh, from, for my closest uh, group of friends. And, and more than that, it's interesting that I, you can go to most cities, or at least the large cities in the world, and you are sure to have somebody you know that you can just reach out and go out for, for dinner, for, for drinks, and I think that's, that's quite nice. So yeah, I think it, overall it, it, met, uh, it really met my, my expectations.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, congratulations. I had no idea you met your wife at at Harvard.
0: Yeah, I did. <laughs> that was that was something that wasn't planned on on my side or on her side, but uh, ended up happening, and you know, we we're very happy about it.
1: <laughs> excellent, excellent. in fact in fact, it's really funny because one of my best friends uh, he met his uh, his wife um, while doing MBA and and both of them were in the class with me and I had no freaking idea that they will actually end up together.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly it's, it's, it's not it's not obvious but it, it happens quite often I can say <laughs> I have a few friends that end up um, finding the soulmate the uh, at business school.
1: <laughs> very very interesting so so by the way if someone is listening to this it, it is a side benefit but don't bank on it too much please
0: <laughs> that, that's exactly true
1: very very interesting so you know looking back um, now that you know what you know is is that, is that something you would have done differently either while applying for your business school or while studying in business school
0: um not radically different. I think what I would have done—it's uh, taking advantage, or more taking advantage of uh, other Harvard uh, schools. So I decided to just take classes from Business School because uh, I wanted max maximize my my business education. Um, but I think after graduation, for instance, I, I I've learned throughout the process that learning or knowing how to code was very important or a very useful skill in the tech world. So I I could have spent more time, I ended up learning the basics of how to code, but I, I could have spent more time on the engineering school or I always liked history. Uh, and I could have taken some very interesting uh, history classes with some very famous professors there at Harvard. So. I think I I would I wouldn't change anything on the business school side but I would take more advantage of the other Harvard um schools or colleges.
1: I see I see that, that that's really interesting um because you know when you think about Harvard you, you you think it's like um you know it's it's like everything is perfect everything could or would be perfect but it looks like there is there is something that can always be done better than it was.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think there was a there was a personal prioritization. So uh, I don't think again Harvard would make those those classes available to to any student. It's just that, as I mentioned, I think I was, especially in the second year, running I was starting to work on my own startup. I, I prioritized that over having classes that would be more for leisure purposes. Um, Maybe I'll have done that differently and postponed the startup for another six months or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very, very, very true. And you know, one one question I had is, let's say somebody from Harvard is listening to the show. Let's say someone in the admissions committee or someone in the teaching committee or, you know, any any kind of uh, stakeholder at Harvard. Is is there any kind of advice you would want to give to them in terms of improving something that they are doing already?
0: I don't think so. I think I think the school it's it's um, it's very aware of uh, of like uh, it's it's strengths uh, it's it's weaknesses and I think invests heavily to try to feel any gap, for instance, while I was at school, Harvard launched the Innovation Lab, which is a, a space for startups, or for anybody that wants to work on, on projects across uh, any different Harvard schools, and they have an incubator. So I think they, they recognize the entrepreneurship. It's, it's becoming, it's, it's already a strong, um, is already a very strong force in the economy. So then they, they realized that they had to invest more on in that, and then they built this amazing infrastructure. So I think they do a great job in in, in continuing the, the tradition and everything that makes Harvard great while paying attention to what is changing in the world and making sure that the, the university invests uh, in the right places.
1: Yeah, yeah very very interesting and and by the way if someone is listening uh Matthias has written a very good article on medium it's called how to get your how to get a startup job even if you have an mba you know what what really got me interested is your phrase of even if (laughs) you have an mba and that's something which i have discovered over time so What's what's your view on MBA and startup combination? I know it's received a lot of, um, you know, uh, not extremely positive feedback from the tech community, especially the fact that you have an MBA almost makes it feel like you may not be the right fit for a startup. Now, obviously, that that is not technically true for everybody out there. I have an MBA, you have an MBA, mm-hmm. and we have done pretty well in, in, in the startup community, but what, what are some of the key things that people need to know um, as this MBA and startup combination?
0: Um, I think that MBAs, they, they generally have um, great ideas, um, but I think the, the challenges like, uh, if depending on the job you did before, if it's consulting, banking, You may not have the execution uh, experience or therefore the execution skills. So I think that's the main gap that I would imagine that uh, the MBAs have to work on, of course, as as you mentioned. uh, An MBA can come from many different backgrounds, but talking about the most traditional ones, which is consulting um, and banking, I think execution skills are critical. And I think the good news is that Uh, the MBA itself will, will offer many possibilities for, for the students to work on, on doing something on get, get stuff done. So many, all the schools, I imagine the main schools already have some sort of like entrepreneurial program or incubator, and they would like offer all the great schools of, uh, the, the great resources of the university, uh, for, for students. So there's really no excuse, um, for somebody that wants to do a startup job or entrepreneurship to graduate without having worked or launched any any project. And I think the main that I think the main stereotype comes from uh, from the fact that like, yeah, MBAs want to be strategic and talking about great things, but would, would lack uh, what it takes to do the dirty job and <laughs> and the boring small tasks that really are what make uh, a company successful over the long run.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, great point. Getting your hands dirty is important. Uh, it's it's not just about strategy and you know keywords like leadership mm-hmm. and, and those kind of keywords which are which are good in a boardroom, but you know once you want to get in a startup have to get your hands dirty and i'll link i'll link your article uh, with this podcast as well so that if someone wants to read they can go and read uh, the medium article which is which is excellent
0: thank thoughts,
1: you thoughts, we are definitely over time here i really really <laughs> appreciate you spending extra time with us um the very last question promise <laughs> the very last question i have for you is you know what do you wish I had asked you?
0: Um, that's a good question. I think we did cover everything I had in mind, which was related to experience and MBA, and I think we covered even uh, beyond, which was the sharing economy, um, the sharing economy side. So let me try to think about something. Um, I think okay. I, I think you. Um, I, I I wish you had asked about the fun part of the MBA because, as we know, we talked a lot about um, how it's good for your professional life and 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 how the academic experience is useful, the networking, the brand, and of course they are all true. Um, but I think something that um, people should keep in mind when deciding about. Uh, an MBA versus working in a startup or is keeping MBA altogether is that's going to be a very fun experience. So uh, it's going to involve traveling to many different countries with uh, great folks partying a lot. Um, and then it's certainly, I mean, of course, depending on your background, your point in life, the experiences may, may be different, but in any, in some shape or form would involve a lot of social experience, uh, engaging in very exciting conversations when people that, that come from very different backgrounds than you and have very interesting things to say. So those are two very fun years. And I think while those two, this goal or this reason shouldn't be the most important reason why you decide to do an MBA, um, think about them. They, are, they matter as well. You're never going to forget your experience.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. That that's a great point. I I wish I did ask you. <laughs> yeah, that that's a really great point. In fact, uh, some of the guests in the past have actually completely said exactly the same point as you. Some of the best discussions you can have is you know over over a pint of beer, <laughs> um, yeah. In 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 the pub uh, with with your classmates um, uh, or over a, ho- a holiday trip, you know, as such. Yeah, great point.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's important.
1: Perfect. Mateus, uh, where can people find out more about you and uh, how can they get in touch with you?
0: Um, I think the easiest way is probably get in touch uh, via LinkedIn. If you search for Mateus Riofi, I'm luckily the only one in the world, so that shouldn't be too hard to find. Uh, If not, I'm also available on Twitter at mriofi. Uh, and I think either, either way works and I'm happy to help with whatever I can
1: yeah absolutely I'll I'll link these uh, you know your LinkedIn and Twitter profile and, and also the Medium article uh, on, on the podcast show notes uh, on the other hand if people want to get in touch with Matthias you can always email me at abinash at the MBA and I'm more than happy to run it past Matthias
0: that sounds like a plan
1: Perfect, mateus thanks a lot for your time today. It is way beyond 8 p.m. <laughs> in the UK. I'll let you get on with your uh, evening plans.
0: No, thank you, uh, Avinash, again for the for, for the invitation. I hope it uh, was useful and, yeah, um, let's make sure that we meet someday for, for a pint here in London.
1: Definitely, definitely. Thanks a lot, Matthias. Thank you.
0: Bye, cheers. Take care, bye.
1: Hi again, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. Before you go away, I have a special offer for you. For only five people, I'm offering a free consultation session on any questions you have regarding the MBA application and the MBA journey. As you know, I've spoken to several people regarding their MBA journeys. So, if you have any questions, I'm more than happy to help you along this. It doesn't matter which phase you are in, whether you're in the research phase or discovery phase, or whether even you're asking yourself the question of whether such an MBA degree is even valuable for you at all. It doesn't matter. As I keep saying, you know, I'm running the show because I wish I had something like this when I was making my MBA decision. I did not. I had to learn the hard way. And as you've heard from a lot of our guests, many of them had to learn the hard way. I'm trying to see how I can add value to your decision making. If this sounds interesting to you, please email me at avinas at thembajam.com or just go to the website thembajam.com and contact me through that. Or you can even reach across me on Twitter. My handle is at avinasbajajs. Very simple. As I said, this is just for five people. I wish I could do a lot more, but uh, because of my other time commitments, I want to start off simple. Anyway, thanks again for listening, folks. Until next time, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The MBA Jam. Now it's time for you to take action. Head over to the mbajam.com to listen to more episodes and discover great resources.